Well, good morning. morning. It's a special Sunday this morning, being over here uh, in the sanctuary. We're going to do baptism this morning, and I just want to report, in addition to the ones being baptized um, this morning, uh, we have one student who will be baptized later on, got saved at camp this week, so thank you for praying for us, and uh, if you will, uh, pay attention to the screens and watch the testimony of these that will be baptized this morning. Hi, I'm Dustin Edwards, and I believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and that He did die on the cross for my sins. Hi, my name is Lincoln Murdoch, and I am nine years old, and the reason why I'm getting baptized is because I asked Jesus to be in my heart, and I love Him, and I'm going to be a member of the church family. Go, Jesus! Go Jesus, amen. <laughs> well, as you saw in the video, this is Dustin Edwards. He and his family's been coming here for about three months. Uh, I was talking to him up here in the baptistry, and he's a veteran. He served in the Marine Corps for, for eight years, and he comes this morning to uh, follow through in believers' baptism. And Dustin, before I baptize you, I want to ask you two questions. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Yes. Do you promise to follow him all the days of your life? Yes. Dustin, because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in his death, raised to life in his life. And, and I'm, I meant to mention this to the choir. You can watch uh, the baptisms now on the back screen there if you want to. Or look, turn around, that's fine. Next we have Lake and Murdoch. And was that not a wonderful uh, testimony that she gave? I really appreciate um, Eric and Holly and their faithfulness here to East Hills of Baptist Church. For everyone that works in the student children's ministry, appreciate appreciate what you do. And I'm honored to baptize her. And Holly, we love you, love Eric, and, and we just praise God for, for this day. Lakin, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Yes. Do you promise to follow him all days of your life? Yes. Lakin, because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in his death, raised to walk in newness of life. God bless you. Okay, would, you would you pray with me now? Father, as we come to your prayer, we want to thank you so much for Dustin and Lakin. First of all, Father, for their faith in you, Lord, that you saved them. And then secondly, Father, that they followed through in believers' baptism. Uh, Father, there may be someone here today who's, who's placed their faith in you uh, this week or years ago but they've never followed through in baptism. That's the next step of obedience. And Father, I pray that you would convict their heart to do that. Lord, that's a work that only you can do. And Father, I'm thankful to belong to a church that believes not only in biblical salvation, but biblical baptism. And Father, we give you the honor and the glory today that we've baptized over 20, 25 people this year. So we thank you for that. We love you. Father, the gospel is still working. And encourage our hearts to share it each and every chance that we get. And we want to give you all the praise and honor and glory for what you do. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said together.
weary traveler I peek down from the storms that you have weathered Feels like this road just might go on forever Carry on You keep on giving but every day this world just keeps on taking Your tired heart is on the edge of breaking Carry on And weary traveler, restless soul You were never meant to walk this road Just hold on, weary traveler, you won't be weary long. And no more searching, heaven's healing's gonna find where all the hurt is. When Jesus calls, we'll lay down all our heavy burdens. Wasn't that good? It's good to be here this morning. Thank you, Ben and Julia and Grant, for sharing your talents with us this morning. Um, I want to read you a verse this morning. It says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The two that got baptized this morning, they've got a father that will never leave them or forsake them. The one that got saved at camp this week now has a father. That's the great thing about being a part of this faith is that we... 
have the chance to be adopted into a family and to have a father that won't leave us or forsake us. And so uh, this morning as you stand up, uh, turn to your neighbor, tell him hello, and uh, tell him happy Father's Day up there, Father. Uh, And if not, tell him you love him. Go ahead and stand up. Tell your neighbor hello.
come to this time of prayer, I just want to make one quick announcement. I asked Justin uh, this morning before I went up into the Baxter area how many volunteers we have for VBS. We have 70 volunteers as of now, and we thank you for that. But with the number of people we usually have here, we need about at least 60 more. So if you want to go on to EastTellsWill.com and fill out the form that's online there, there's a link to it. Please do that between now and VBS, which starts on July 17th. Why is this important? Listen, a recent study was done among ministers and ministry leaders this year 2022 and they find through all denominations only 37 percent of pastors hold a biblical worldview that's shocking and children and student pastors seven percent we're raising up a generation of biblically illiterate lost church members why is vbs important why is student camp important for that very reason Thank you, Justin, for believing in the Bible, teaching the Bible. Uh, Thank our staff for believing in the Bible and teaching the Bible. Thank you, Sunday school teachers, for believing in the Bible and teaching the Bible. Amen. I'm telling you, the number of churches in America today that believe this book and preach it are drastically going down. Uh, George Marna said this, We don't need a spiritual awakening in the furniture factories anymore or the schools anymore. We need them in the pulpits of America. Sad times in America today. So if you belong to a Bible-believing church, just thank the Lord for the church that you're a part of. This, this past week, I got a call when we were on vacation that Richard Chapman had passed away. Richard was a, a, a longtime church member here. He was stood at the door. I thought of the passage that said, I'd, uh, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than thousands elsewhere. But I just want to tell Mike and Peggy, uh, the Fry family, the Chapman family, that we love you and we're praying for you. And I'm so thankful that the body, Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, this is kind of like our invitation time. And this is a time that we invite you to come to pray for this service. Pray for yourself. Uh, pray for your family. Just whatever you have need of, please bring it before the throne of grace. So as the praise team leads us in this time of praise, I'm going to ask you to meet me here at this altar. And let's pray together this morning. pray with me now? Father, as we come to you in prayer, first and foremost, I want to lift up the Chapman family. Father, we say this a lot, but it's so true. Only you can heal the hurt that comes with death. Lord, a husband has been lost, a dad, grandfather, great-grandfather. Lord, a friend of many. Lord, he served here for many, many years, and I pray that you would bless this family and help this family. Lord, all the Chapmans have done and the Fries have done since I've been here is serve. And I want to thank you so much for the friendship I have with this family. Lord, I'm honored to be their pastor. And Lord, you just help them in ways that only you can. Good people. And Father, I know that there are many people here at this altar that have heavy burdens. Father, I'm so thankful that your word says that we can cast all of our cares upon you. All of them. Not just cares, our anxieties, our worries, our sin. Lord, I'm so thankful the Bible says that if we confess our sin as Christians that you're faithful and just to hear us, forgive us, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Father, we're so thankful for that. 
Father, we pray that you continue to bless in this service. Lord, I want to thank you for our choir, for Sharon's leadership. Lord, what a blessing it is to hear them each and every week. Pray that you continue to bless there. Lord, help me as I stand to preach. And Father, if there's anyone here today that's lost, who has never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. I pray that today would be the day that they meet their Heavenly Father for the first time. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you alone can do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. to die on a cross for the crimes he had done he was guilty everyone could see but his destiny was changed as he looked at Christ and said when your kingdom comes remember me like the Lord had said he would, surrounded by those who had gone before. And one said, friend, how did you come? What are the deeds you have done? And with tears in his eyes, I could hear him reply, there are no merits to
Amen. Thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles, if you will, turn to John chapter 1. We've been going through a series on Sunday mornings for the last couple of months called Questions and Answers. And one of the questions I got after one of the Sunday morning services is, could you explain the Trinity? And my answer to that is no, nobody can. Augustine, who's one of the great theologians of our time, years ago after the Lord saved him, he said explaining the Trinity was like one day when he was at the, at the ocean back then is the way he called it. He said a little boy was putting ocean water in a bucket. And he said he walked up to this ocean boy and he says, what are you, what are you trying to do? He says, I think I'm going to put the whole ocean in this bucket. And he said, well, that's kind of like explaining the Trinity. You can't do it. But what we can do is tell you who God is, right? We can tell you who Jesus is. And we can tell you who the Holy Spirit is. We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we're going to look at this question. Is Jesus God? Now, think about that for a moment. How you answer that question will determine where you spend eternity. Is Jesus God? And if so, how do we know that? Because the Muslims will say this, and I've been in a mosque. Mark and I were sat in a mosque with a very intelligent uh, Muslim imam. He had a PhD. He told us about three or four times. One of the nicest men I've met, they fed us. And it, when we were talking about the differences in beliefs, and I've shared this with you before. I said, well, what do you think about Jesus? Well, he's a good man. He didn't, he didn't die on the cross. He didn't raise from the dead. He was a good man. All right, like Mike Mohammed. Well, to put that bluntly and to be nice, that's blasphemy. Okay? The Mormons will say this. The Mormons will say, Jesus was one of many little gods, G-O-D, and the half-brother to Lucifer. Well, that's not true. Jehovah's Witnesses teach Jesus was an angel and became a man. And the Jews in Jesus' day said he was a good teacher. Even today, they'll say he was a good teacher. But who is Jesus? I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Let's see what John says. One of the latest gospels written. Uh, some scholars say that Paul was dead, Peter was dead. Uh, most of the disciples had been martyred by the time John writes this. We, I want you to remember that when you read the book of Revelation, the same John wrote it. And he met the resurrected Christ. And Jesus says, I hold the keys to, I'm the first and the last. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. And then John writes this gospel and he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Notice the word he goes back to the word word. All things were made through him, the Word. And without him, the Word, nothing was made. In him, the Word was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Then look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, as we come to you in prayer, help us to have a biblical view of who Jesus is. Lord, it means everything. Jesus Christ is Lord. Even though the Trinity is a mystery to us all, no one can adequately explain it. Lord, you told Moses the secret things belong to God, and you do the things I tell you. So, Father, we're just going to look at what the Bible says about Jesus being God and what Jesus says about himself being God, and then we'll individually make the decision of who you are. And, Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, the resurrected Christ, the Son of the living God, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. What a Father's Day that would be. For everyone, and we'll thank you and praise you for the things that you alone can do. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Years ago, there was a group called the Jesus Seminar where they took the Gospels and they tried to explain who Jesus was and who was not. And John Shelby Sponge, who was an Episcopal bishop, he said, 
Jesus was not born of a virgin, since Mary had probably been violated, he said. Jesus himself was married. The wedding at Cana was probably his own wedding. The Gospels are to be read as a retelling of the stories without literal truth. Morton Smith, who's a professor of ancient history at Columbia University, says Jesus was a magician who influenced his followers through the use of illusion and hypnosis. A.N. Wilson, who was a best-selling British novelist, said he was a good Jewish lad with a brilliant flair for shrewd moral teachings, but he would, not, but he would have been horrified to think of a church, let alone people worshiping him as if he were divine. So did Jesus accept worship? Gandhi said this, and I've shared this quote many times. He said, I cannot say Jesus is uniquely divine. He was as much God, big G, as Krishna or Rama or Muhammad. He was as spiritual as me. Do a little Google search on Gandhi if you want to see what kind of person he was. Then uh, one southern gospel uh, singer said this years ago, he says, God is immortal, Jesus is not. The incarnation as taught by modern Christianity is a fable. Jesus was not a God-man, but a man full of God. Now think about this. A lot of opinions by people, preachers, singers, philosophers, and, and historians... As a matter of fact, they asked a good question. This, this question has been asked over and over in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 21, 10, when Jesus rode into the Jerusalem on a donkey, the city was stirred, saying this, Who is this? In Luke chapter 8, verse 25, the disciples asked at one point after Jesus stilled the storm, Who then is this man? Luke chapter 9, verse 9, Herod asked, Who is this man? In Luke 5, verse 21, the scribes and Pharisees asked themselves, Who is this man? Man, But how does the Bible answer that question? Notice on the screen again, John 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. Look at the Word was, the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. There's one central truth, if you'll show this on the screen, and that is this, that Jesus Christ is divine and eternal. Now, Michael, if you will, go back to that verse again. I like how one pastor put this. He said, look at the first phrase, in the beginning was the Word. That declares Jesus to be eternally existent. The second phrase, and the Word was with God. That means face to face. This describes Jesus as intimately close with the Godhead. And then the third phrase, and the Word was God, demands that Jesus be considered nothing less than equally divine. Look at the Word was, how God inspired John to write it in the imperfect present tense, I believe it was. It means in the beginning was and always will be the Word, and the Word was and always will be with God, and the Word was and always will be God. Six things I want to share with you today that prove that Jesus Christ was God, and the first one is this, Jesus said He was God. He said it. Notice John 10 on the screen, Jesus replied after He was arguing with the Jewish people. He said, he said this, the Father and I are one. Notice what He says. The Father and I are one. Now, how did they respond? Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. Why? Because if you blasphemed in Jewish, uh, by Jewish law, you could be stoned. They replied, we're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You're a mere man claiming to be God. Jesus claimed to be God over and over again. Jesus used the I am statements. John 8, 24 in the King James, it says this. Jesus speaking to the Jewish leaders. If you believe not that I am he ye shall die in your sins. Why are the I am statements so important? Because when Moses, God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, and God told Moses this, and we've been studying Moses now on Wednesday nights. God told Moses, he says, you go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses said, I, I can't speak well. 
I can't do this, I can't do that. And then finally Moses said, well, who am I going to tell him sent me? And God said, you tell him I am that I am sent me. And all the Jews understood that when you use an I am statement, you're saying you're God. You're on the same level. Jesus did this over and over. The Jews understood this and that how, how that God answered them. That's why they wanted to kill him in John 8, 58 and 59. Jesus answered and said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Talking to himself. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. In Mark's gospel, in Mark 14, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of God, the Blessed One? And Jesus answered by saying this, I am. And then listen to how they responded. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Why do we need any other witnesses? You have all heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him. And they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesied to us, they jeered. And the guards slapped him as they took him away. Why? Because he said, I am God. Why did John write John 1? Because John met Jesus in Revelation 1 and verse 17 when Jesus said, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Isaiah 41.4, God says this. Back in Isaiah, 700 years before this. He says, I am the Lord, the first and the last am he. Sounds like the same person. So Jesus said he was God. Jesus was also worshipped, number two, worshipped as God. This is the highest form of blasphemy. The first high, high form is saying I'm God. The second highest form is being worshipped. You cannot, the Ten Commandments say you can't have no other gods but the one that we worship. Jesus accepted worship as God. Notice what the wise men did. You remember the story of the wise men? Notice in Matthew chapter 2. I like how one commentator put it. He said, if Jesus was offered and accepted worship, then by doing so, he was confirming his divinity. From the beginning of Jesus' life, we see examples of him being worshipped. You remember the wise men came into Jerusalem and they asked Herod, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And Herod was disturbed. And basically he was so disturbed, he killed all the young babies. Okay? And Herod said, if you find him, you let me know where he's at. And then these wise men who came, they followed the star. They were, they were magi, if you will, and they were king makers. They were always in the courts of the king. And they go and they find Jesus in a house as, a, as a, about a two-year-old. And as soon as the magi laid eyes on the child, they bowed down and worshipped him. That's the highest form of blasphemy if that's not true. Jesus accepted worship over and over again as God when he healed the blind man. Jesus told the blind man, do you believe? He said, yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. In Matthew 14, the disciples worshipped him and said, you really are the Son of God. They exclaimed or they praised him and worshipped him. They're saying he's not just a rabbi, but he is God in flesh. Listen to how Paul describes Christ in Romans 9, talking about the, the nation of Israel needing to be saved. Okay? And what Paul says in uh, Romans 9, 10, 11 is you just don't go to heaven because you're a Jew. Okay? You don't. You must be born again. And he says this, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors talking about Israel. And Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And talking about Jesus, he is God, big G. The one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Romans 9, chapter 5. You remember doubting Thomas? That's, how, that's, the, that's the disciple I would have been. Okay, I'm going to doubt you till you prove me wrong. Right? Nobody still has brought Bigfoot to my house, so I still don't believe in him. Okay? If you bring him to my house and I touch him and I high-five him, I'll say Bigfoot is real. Up until then, I don't believe he's real. Okay? Thomas said, I'll believe Jesus rose from the dead when I touch his side and put my fingers in the nail prints in his hands or his wrist. 
And guess what happened on a day? Jesus appeared to Thomas and he said, touch my side. And then Thomas makes this statement. My Lord and my God, big G. And then he worshipped Jesus. So Jesus said he was God. He accepted worship as God. Number three, Jesus demonstrated power over all things. Notice these things that Jesus did. Jesus calmed storms. The Bible says that when Jesus and the disciples were out on a boat, the storm came up, and when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. The disciples were absolutely terrified, saying, Who is this man? And they asked each other, Even the wind and the waves obey him. Another translation said this, What manner of man is this? And that word manner means it, he's, not from, he's not like us. He's totally different than from us. That he can stop the wind. He can stop a storm. He walked on water. Think about that. Jesus demonstrates power over, over the weather. We've been studying Noah on Wednesday nights. And Noah gave this, God gave this uh, promise to Noah. Listen to what he said to Noah. Talking about the weather. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. This is after the flood had receded. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. It's never going to happen. You'll have area floodings. A lot of people have died in floods. We had our own tragedy here. The whole world's not going to because God said it's not. And then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. That means forever. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will floodwaters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then he made this statement in chapter 8. He said, as long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and hot, summer and winter, night and day. It's always going to be here. You may have colder winters or warmer winters, but you're going to have winter. You may have colder summers or hotter summers, but you're always going to have summers. You're always going to have it because God said it's going to happen. Why? Because Jesus controls the weather. Your SUV does not. Sorry. It don't. It just don't. You know, the Aztecs tried to control the weather by sacrificing people. It didn't work out too well for them. Jesus is in control. Not only that, but he raised the dead. Think about this for a moment. There was Jesus was walking with his disciples this way. He had been healing people. Okay, He's walking this way. There's a funeral procession coming this way. The people were mourning. They said it was so loud. The mourning was so loud over this person that had died that Jesus stops. He stops and listen to what the Bible says. It says, then he walked over to the coffin. There was a little boy in there and he touched it and the bear stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Only God can do that. Do you know that Jesus has the power over death? He's the only one. Do you know that Jesus has your life in his hands and you have a day that you're going to die? You know, when you go to any, any graveyard or cemetery, you'll have a birth date and a death date. And that's God's doing. Your birth and your death is God's doing. Now, do you take part in that? Of course you do. If I die today, just understand this was my day. From whatever reason it is, it's my day today. Can you shorten your life? I don't think so. I just think God is sovereign over all that. Now, he may allow you to give in to your wishes, but it was God's will to allow that to happen. 
You're going to die. God determines the length of each person's life. The risen Christ said he holds the keys of death and Hades. And Jesus took the sting of death at the resurrection. The writer of Hebrews said this. He says, Jesus has rendered powerless death. Think about that for a minute for the Christian. He has taken away. He goes on to say this. That word rendered powerless means to cause something to come to an end or cause it to cease to happen to abolish or cause it not to function, to change the relationship. Job called death the king of terrors. Paul said this. In the Old Testament, when the oldest book's written, Job said, death is the king of terrors. You know what Paul says? To live is Christ, to die. Bring it. Bring it. Bring it. Just bring it. You think you're going to scare me with death? I'm going to heaven. He says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He said this, this suffering I'm going through, and he had great ones. He said it's a momentary light of affliction compared to eternity. Bring it. If I die just right on my tombstone, bring it. It's okay. It is okay. I'm, I'm fine with it. If God says today is your day to die, well, man, that's sad for me, right? I'm going to be in glory with Jesus for eternity. It's really hard for those left behind. But every time I leave a, a graveside, I'm thinking this. Death is, or I think of this. I look at the grieving families and I think, yes, there is grief. And there should be grief. You grieve much because you love much, right? You love somebody. You don't want to be separated. But there's hope there. In Christ, they'll see that person again. Our enemy's greatest weapon, the devil, has been death. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus has taken away the fear of death. Of death. He's taken away that fear. He's not taking away the fear of dying. I don't want to get eaten up by a bear, do you? No, I don't want to get bit by a snake. I don't even like flying planes, right? But I'm not afraid of ultimate death. There's no reason to be. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Because our champion has defeated death. John MacArthur says death is never seen at the end of anything for the Christian. But only seen as something better, something good, something to embrace. Eternity, like all the grains of sand on the earth, compared to our life, is one grain. That's all it is. And Jesus Christ has conquered death. Jesus healed. When, when Jesus healed in the Bible, he healed nine times out of ten, or almost every time, instantly and completely. Think about that. If you had leprosy, he said, okay, I'll tell you what you'll do. I'm going to heal you of leprosy by touching you. Well, he spoke the word, and then he touched and said, but you walk to the priest to show your faith, and you'll be healed on your way there. And that person was healed. Blind man, he healed him that quick. I've never seen that in all my life. Last two weeks ago, I went to Brenner's Hospital in Winston. If I could heal somebody, friends, there wouldn't be a Brenner's Hospital. There would not be a Brenner's Hospital. Have you ever been to Brenner's? You don't leave Brenner's without crying. I don't. I cry like a baby every time I go up there. See these little kids, and I think I've shared this with you before, but when I was a youth pastor, I went with the pastor that I was working with at the time, and we were visiting somebody, and they had a very serious situation, but their child was going to get better. The lady said, will you come pray for our little daughter? I said, yeah. Two-year-old little ball hit a little girl. She says she has one of the rarest forms of cancer. They're not giving her long. Sweet little girl. I bawled my eyes out praying for that kid. I did. If I could heal like Jesus, like people say they can, she would have been healed that day. Easily. I'd have healed my grandfather. I saw him lay in a hospice bed in, my, in his living room. Or we used to watch Walter Cronkite. Remember that? Cloudy McLean, give the weather with a magic marker. You remember that? Gun smoke. Matt Dillon gets shot in the shoulder. I'd say, Pops, he's going to die. He said, no, son, it's a shoulder shot. Okay, he's going to live. And then I'd say, 
Pop, what does uh, Miss Kitty do for a living? He says, mind your own business, son, because he never told me. He never told me, all right? But I would heal. I would have healed my grandfather that day, okay? So Jesus can heal. He heals instantly. He heals completely. It don't come back when he heals you, all right? Think about that for a moment. And then he created all things seen and unseen. Jesus did. Verse 3 says this. He says, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. The writer of Colossians says this. Listen to how he put it. Christ is the invisible image of the is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. And through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world, which tells us this. Listen. There are thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Jesus created those. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? I want to show you a picture. This is from a scientist. He'll show that picture. You see that little light? That's how scientists, even secular scientists today, say we got here. Just something happened, and then... We're at the very end of the spectrum. And in that spectrum, listen, there's a huge star called the Antares. Now listen to this. This is in our galaxy. It's so large that it can hold 64 million suns the size of our sun. And yet it's only one of a billion stars in our galaxy, just our galaxy, the Milky Way. A galaxy that is 100,000 light years from one end to the other and is revolving at around 200 miles per hour. Jesus created the gigantic stars as well as every detail of our incredibly huge galaxy. Now, see that, see that little light right there? Can you see it? Okay. This, this, this person said there, were just, there was just a bang that happened. Just a bang. Scientists know that the universe has not always been here. See, for years when I was in school, they taught that the universe was always here. Now we understand that something happened and we got here. Okay. What happened? Dan Rather used to say this, if there's a big bang, there has to be a big banger. There has to be. All right? There has to be. One, one British uh, scientist, Fred Hull, a British astronomer, talking about the world just happening on its own, he said, the event suggested by such researchers, it is about as likely as assembling a Boeing 747 by sending a whirling tornado through a junkyard. It's not going to happen. He says, for an organism to somehow over millions of years come up with the ability to reproduce itself. It would be like putting a rooster in a hen house all by himself, hoping that after two or three million years, he'd finally lay an egg. He's not going to do it. It's not going to happen. But what happened? You see that little light right there? God spoke. That's what happened. God is outside of space and time and our dimension, and he spoke, and here we are. I mean, we shared this before, but our planet... It's not such a rotation just to tilt it a little bit. One way we're dead. Tilt it the other way, we're dead. How does John put it? He put it just like this. All things are made through him. Without him, nothing made that was made. It's pretty simple, right? We studied uh, Wednesday night about how smart Moses was. How, how smart the Egyptians were. And he studied at a university there in Egypt. And how amazing that... I said this. If you put an Egyptian in Moses' day... In our time today, with the technology we have, be one of the smartest people to ever live. You take me and put me in Egypt, I can't even eat with their spoon, probably. 
I mean, these people, it's amazing what they did. You cannot duplicate the pyramids this day. You just can't do it. It's, it's, phys- it's just impossible. But they did it without technology. Moses was brought up in that. The Bible says that he was brilliant. And he writes Genesis 1 and says God spoke. He could have wrote 25 books on God speaking, but he didn't. You know why? To make it simple for us. God spoke. Look, and you know what science says? There is a bang, and we disappear. We just, we got lucky. And, and listen, you can, get a, you can get a PhD today, and we got lucky. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? You just bang, and we're here? Yeah, that's what happened. You believe that? Yeah, I don't believe that. Sorry. I just can't believe that. But I can believe this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. I'll take that any day. Jesus created all things. Notice the second thing, this, or the fourth thing, Jesus forgave sins. Notice this is so remarkable. In Mark 2, 5 and 7, man's paralyzed. His friends bring him to Jesus. He's in this house, and he's preaching, all right? And they, they got to get to Jesus, so they lower him down through the roof. And Jesus said this. He saw their faith, and Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my, sin, my child... Your sins are forgiven. That is blasphemy if you're, not G- if you're not God. I don't have the right to forgive anybody's sin. I can't. I can't forgive my own, much less yours. But some of the teachers of the religious law were sitting there and thought to themselves, who is he saying? What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. So if you need your sins forgiven, who should you run to? Not a priest with a collar. He can't forgive nothing. He's, he's as sinful as you are. He's as sinful as I am. Okay? You can ask for prayer, but you run to Jesus. He's the only one who forgives sins. The writer of Hebrews put it this way. He, when he writes Hebrews, you have Jewish Christians who are struggling because of persecution and are tempted to go back to Judaism. And in Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 1, he talks about how Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. Nobody compares to Jesus. And then in chapter 2, he says, don't, don't worship angels. Jesus is better than them. He says, therefore, it was necessary for him, Jesus, to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful, faithful, high priest before God. Now listen to me. You have a high priest that is merciful and faithful. When you sin, and you will, he's merciful and faithful. Your neighbor may not be. Alexander County probably won't be. But Jesus is. And doggone it, who cares what everybody else thinks, amen? He is merciful and he is faithful. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. That means to propitiate. You know what was propitiated? We studied the flood. God said, these people are so wicked, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. The way I'm going to propitiate my wrath is send a flood. In the Old Testament, we're going to kill a goat to propitiate my wrath every year. If you don't, then your sins won't be forgiven. Then he alone came Jesus. He said, I'll propitiate my wrath through Jesus. I'll pour all my sin on Jesus and all my wrath on Jesus so I can forgive you. That's what that means. And since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us. That word means to come to the aid when we're being tested or tempted or when we failed. You know what Jesus, what that's saying is this. I like how one pastor put it. He says, Jesus has been through what you've been through to a point. He says, he knows what it's like to experience betrayal and rejection by a dysfunctional family. 
or to be stabbed in the back by friends, close friends, and ministry friends. He knew what it was like to be single long after the rest of his friends got married. The Gospels record him going to all kinds of weddings. You can go to Jesus with anything, all your dirt and stuff you struggle with. That's what this means, and get help. You can get help if you run to Jesus. See, two weeks ago we showed that opening video, and Matt Chandler was the one speaking. He said, God does not despise you, and he knows all about you. God does not, Christian as his child, despise you, and he knows all about you. He knows all about you. He knows all about your last night and your night before. And he does not despise you. He is a merciful and faithful high priest. Why would you not run to Jesus? Run to Jesus, Christian. That's why John, this same John, wrote, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. I don't care what it is. You're not going to get that grace many places in Alexander County. I pray to God we're that kind of people. That'll show grace to people. When it comes to their testing and trying and their failures. And then the, notice this. Jesus was prayed to as God and I'm going to hurry. Notice the verse in Acts 7, 50, 59. As Stephen was being stoned after his great sermon. It says, and they stoned Stephen. He was calling on God. And saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then the final thing is this. Jesus performs final judgment. Paul writing to the church at Corinth said, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. One day we'll stand before Christ and be judged not for our sins, because that's been taken care of, but for our deeds. But for what we did or didn't do in Christ's name. And so let me ask you this question. Who is Jesus to you? This question caused a former atheist, C.S. Lewis, after he studied the life of Jesus, he said, Jesus is either Lord, he's a liar, or he's a lunatic, but don't call him a mere man. That just won't work. Who is Jesus Christ to you? As a son of God, he willingly went to the cross to bear God's wrath on your behalf and died in your place so you can be saved today. And my prayer for you on this Father's Day is that you'll meet your Heavenly Father by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, our musicians to come. And I'm going to ask them to play softly. And if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, I would encourage you to do that this morning. You can come to this altar. Our staff will be here if you need us to help you. We can talk to you after the church service. If you're a Christian today, listen. You have a faithful and merciful high priest. Share your, your doubts, your fears, your struggles with Jesus. Hey, it's confidential with Jesus. You got anybody in your life like that? Most people don't. It's confidential with Jesus. And he loves you. He knows all about you. And he does not despise you as his child. You may want to come to this altar this morning and get things settled with the Lord. That may be what God wants you to do. I don't know. And you know, I'm not going to tell you, you don't have to come to the altar. But there's something different just about being here. So after I pray, this altar is open this morning. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. My prayer is for anyone here today, Lord, who has struggled in their faith, 
Lord, in life, who maybe just needs you. Lord, I pray that they would know that they're coming to a faithful and merciful high priest who loves them deeply, who, who shows perfect love, and is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse of all unrighteousness. And then, Lord, if there's anyone here today, regardless of their age or status in life, who has never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We're so thankful for that promise in the Bible. Father, this is your time, and these are your people. And Father, I pray that this invitation will bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. As Sharon and the choir leads us in this song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. Dustin and Mary Edwards, they'll come over with their family. As I said this morning, they've been, been coming to East Hills for about three months, been through new members class, born again and baptized. So thankful to have them here at East Hills of Baptist Church. And they come this morning to desire church membership. Do we have a motion to accept them as members of East Hills of Baptist Church? Do we have a second? All in favor say amen. 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 Well, Dustin, welcome to East Hills of Baptist Church. So thankful to have you and your family. I'm honored to be your pastor, honored to baptize you this morning. And I know that you'll want to come by and shake their hands and welcome them to East Hills of Baptist Church. I would say this before we dismiss. If you're here today and you never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, uh, I'm here anytime to talk with you about that. I would love to talk with you about that. If you're doubting your salvation, sometimes you just need somebody to talk to. I would love to talk with you about that. Any of our staff would. Our doors are always open, okay? God bless you. I hope you have a great Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, men. And you're dismissed. Thank you. Welcome to the church.